everyone. Welcome back to The Extras. My name is Jack. My name's Dave. It is good to be with you here today as we get to jump into questions and wrestle with the Bible. Yeah, I mean, this is just always such a highlight of my week as we get to really go hard into the text. And I, I mean, particularly on a passage in a talk like this, I don't know yeah. how you feel about Dave. I mean, this is a bit of a weird extra, isn't it? We both preach this passage as we well. We did, we did. Yeah, I mean, your, your first kind of draft of your talk, you know, how much was in there? How much was left out, I guess? Uh, a lot, a lot, um, but I, I feel like I kept a lot in as well, so yeah. um, huge topics. Absolutely right, yeah. For those, for those who may have forgotten or who weren't there, can you remind us what were we looking at in the Bible on Sunday? Yeah, so we're up to Ephesians 6, we're almost done, you know, working our way through uh, this great letter, mm. and uh, Ephesians 6 is about children and about parents and about slaves and about masters and you know, what God God's will is for those people uh, in this new society that he's creating. So children, obey your parents. You know, uh, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Mm. Um, bring them up, nurture them, instruct, discipline them. So huge things. Absolutely. You know, massive, yeah. massive things. Yeah. And it's worth saying, I mean, my, my first draft of this talk was about 70 minutes long. <laughs> And the people of early morning and morning and afternoon church should be were very relieved to know that uh, there was some substantial editing that went on. But yeah, there's just there's yeah. just so much to say, and many of our questions reflect the the things we didn't get to in the talk. So it's great that we can start to wrestle through with some of them now. And I guess the first, I mean, we'll come to the first question now. I mean, maybe the most glaring thing is that we didn't even preach on more than half of this passage. You know, Ephesians yeah. six to nine was what was read. So I'll I'll, I'll I'll read the first question now. Someone's texted in. I think it was a missed opportunity to not focus on the passage regarding slaves and masters when most of the congregation are workers. This came in at afternoon church, by the way. Um, yep. Most of the congregation are workers, but instead only focus on a passage about children and parents, of which most of our congregation are generally neither. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll talk to afternoon church in a minute, but maybe it'd be helpful to say, Dave, just as we, you know, you know, chat about this during the week and wrestle with what to yeah. do. Well, yeah. Why do we only focus on half the passage? Yeah. Um, uh, Partly because it would have been 140 minutes. <laughs> That's uh, right. Yeah. Had, had we delved into slaves and masters as well, mm. and uh, yeah, look, you know, it was a in some, you know, I think this this is right. There mm. was a missed opportunity. Yeah, uh, we didn't speak to it, and there's lots to say in there about, um, you know, what's applicable there and how that particularly works through, but. Mm. Um, we we did make a decision, you yeah. know, to sort of go. Look, there's lots to be said uh, on the children and parents uh, aspect, uh, of which I think all of us find ourselves in that picture somewhere, mm. or uh, we need to listen for the sake of the whole at that point. But yeah, um, yeah I. I I agree. Yeah, it was a totally. missed opportunity, but uh, we, we couldn't say everything that needed to be said either. So. Yeah, that's right. Um, part of my thing as well is, as I've wrestled through with it, you know, uh, it's my sense that there are more passages in the New Testament that talk about work than there are that talk about parents and children. And mm. that's off the top of my head. It could be wrong. But, I mean, even in Ephesians, there's a, there's a verse in chapter 4, verse 29 or something, um, about, you know, work has been addressed even in Ephesians so far. So I felt this is this is the one time in a, you know, maybe a couple of years we'll get to really hammer what is such a complex issue in relationships, mm. so worth doing. But yes, lots to say about work as well. And we're going to uh, wrestle with a few of the questions that have come through yeah. about it now. So I hope that you get the chance to listen here. Um, still just driving on the, I guess, the even just, you know, this kind of meta question, if you like, about what we preach. A um, couple of questions. Someone's asked, why do we read the slaves bit if we're only talking about kids? That's mm. confusing. Yeah. And someone said, 
the relationship between parents and children is four verses, whereas masters and slaves is five verses. So did the Ephesians have someone to elaborate more about it? You know, are we overthinking or adding or taking away somehow by not looking into the second part, the masters and slaves as well? Yeah. What would you make of that, Dave? Yeah. Um, it's always good to read scripture. Mm. Uh, and, you know, uh, even if we're not necessarily going to explain it in depth, uh, and work, you know, work it over as we did with that sort of first section there. So I sort of, yes, um, we we read the slaves and masters bit out, but we didn't preach on it. Mm. Um, and uh, so hopefully this clears up a bit of the confusion. Just to go, sometimes it's good just to let scripture rest. Yeah, and, you know, and and just have it listened to and go, okay, yep. Um, yeah, God speaks to us through His Word. It doesn't need to be explained. Like, yeah. It's helpful, like, and we want to unpack things, and particularly want to apply them, and you know, work them through in our lives. But yeah. God speaks through His Word, and that you know, sometimes we read the passage and just let it stand as part of fleshing out that principle. But we don't have to have the human comment on everything because God's the one who's speaking, and that's even more important. Yeah, yeah. Um, did the Ephesians have a, an elaborator, so to speak? I don't know for sure. I mean, it's an interesting point, isn't it? And yeah, it did strike me when this question came in. Yeah, I mean, the Ephesians would have been sitting there listening to the letter read out and yeah, they would have got these four verses and that was it, you know. But we spent, you know, 35 minutes kind of fleshing it out in real life, that kind of thing. I mean, I take it that the Ephesians would have chatted these things through and, you know, would have poured over this letter and, you know, would have read it again and again because this has been the first bit of scripture they'd gotten. And they'd be thinking, okay, what does this mean, all right? Paul's just given us one sentence, you know, fathers don't exasperate your children, but raise them in the teaching instruction of the Lord. You know, Bob over there, what do you think you'd do that exasperates yeah. your children? Like, yeah. you know, it's we work these things out in community and wrestle with what the scriptures are doing and how they speak to us in our lives. And I think that's part of what we're doing in preaching as well. We're not just saying, this is what the Bible says. We're trying mm. to say, well, we all live in the real world and there's all sorts of things going on in life. So what does the Bible say into those specific situations? That's a big part of what we're trying to do when we preach as well. Yeah, and I, and I think... You're always preaching to the a group of people. The, mm. the sermon's not prepared in a vacuum of going. Let's just you know, it's we want to preach to the people of St Paul's yeah. and go. What's going to be helpful for them? What are some things that we're wrestling through? And you know, you, you bring in your uh, pastoral conversations and things that that are going on and that you're working through with people to help them understand mm. what has God's word come to bear on some of these yeah. situations for us. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's helpful. We'll tackle a couple of the questions about slavery and work itself, because I think that's really worth doing. So someone's texted in, are the verses about slaves and masters applicable to workers in the modern day? Yeah, and look, this is a huge question, and Mm. and there's there's more to be said in terms of, you know, the whole sort of slavery aspect. Um, uh, And and while uh, the, the situation that is, you know, Paul is speaking to in that first century of slaves and masters... It uh, doesn't have the exact correlation that you know, you know, of an employer-employee relationship. Um, the principles that uh, Paul brings up and works through here, I still think, are universally true in mm. terms of how we think about the workplace. Yeah. Um, you know, we should be workers who work well when you know the boss doesn't have his eye on us. Mm. Uh, we shouldn't be showing favoritism and. We should be working through those things, uh, you know. And so I think there's good principles for us to understand yeah. and to sort of apply through to sort of modern day work. Um, but, you know, 
you know, is 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 Raj the master and I'm the slave, or you know, <laughs> does it feel like that? For me? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so like I'm not quite sure you'd want to have that sort of exact correlation. Yeah. Um, you, you got thoughts? Yeah, I think it is easy to jump too quickly and say, well, you know, I read this passage and master and slave as well. You know, there's no masters and slaves around today. That in itself is wrong, by the way. We'll get to that in a second as well. Mm. Like slavery is still around today. Um, but you know, in my experience as you know, twenty first century Sydney cider, yeah, you know, I look at and say, well, I'm looking for something to apply this to in my life, and that's a good impulse. But I think you can jump too quickly from mm. no slaves and masters. Like there, are, there are very real ways in which that is different mm. from the modern workplace. Slaves in the ancient world, you know, had no option to resign if they didn't want to keep working. You know, like there was, yeah. they didn't have this. You know, I mean, particularly in Australia, we had this very flat you know, social hierarchy where, um, I think we were talking about this earlier in the week, weren't we? In many ways, like, you know, masters treat the slaves in the same way, verse 9. To our world, that's, I think, 99% of people are going to say, well, that's obvious. Well, of course, you know, masters yeah. can't just, sorry, bosses can't just be, you know, speaking down and, you know, treating their employees like dirt. Like, you know, that's going to mm-hmm. be a, you know, you're going to get hauled before some kind of tribunal for that today, right? Like, yeah. our world's just a bit different. Um, so acknowledging those differences is important. But like you said, there are principles here for, yeah, yeah. how we work how we respond to those who are either in our employee or who we work for. Yeah, definitely principles that I think through. Yeah. Um, now, let's keep going down this slavery line. Yeah. Um, question here on the, you know, how can someone in modern day slavery honour God through their work? Yeah. I, I find this a really tricky question to sort of get my head around. Have you got some initial thoughts to get us going? Yeah, I mean, this, this is an area where I'm, I'm aware of some of the issues, but not, I don't feel anywhere close to competent to give a, a really comprehensive answer. Um, with that in mind, it's worth saying, yeah, I, I've, I've seen figures, I can't remember the exact numbers, but if you think that slavery is this ancient institution that's been abolished, mm. that is very much not the case. Like, there are, there are millions of people around the world mm. who are in slavery-type relationships, like, at this current moment, like, at this very hour. And that's, like... When you first hear that, it's kind of—I think the first time I heard that, I was kind of shocked because, like, you know, didn't didn't Wilberforce like solve all this in the 19th yeah. century? And, you know, we haven't yeah. moved beyond this. But the answer is no. Like, yeah. in very real ways, there are many people in awful slave-type conditions around the world, and that's that's heartbreaking. Like, that's that's not a good thing. I mean, it's worth saying that even that is different to the first-century slavery that Paul yes. was talking about. Um, first-century slaves, you know. The, the vast majority of people in the Roman world were slaves. That's worth knowing as well. Mm. I, I think I read one commentator last week who said there were, you know, there were 90 million slaves in the yeah. in the early Roman Empire. Like something like two thirds of people lived as slaves. And as I to say, it was good. Like there were problems. There were masters who treated their slaves badly. But it was this universal, just social reality. You know, the bulk of the workforce, you know, making mm. the food grow and bringing it in, all those things, like were slaves. And slavery was. Um, accepted it was universal and there was some goodness to it like it was mm. it was possible for slaves to earn their freedom yeah. slavery was in part like a there was a there was a measure of social security thing like if you got in a really bad debt you could you know get into slavery as a way to sort of pay it off like there were there were some good things about it the modern slavery that exists today i don't think there's anything good about it like it's no. it's brutal and it's dehumanizing and it's mm. it's people being exploited and all of that is problematic like yeah to say the least yeah yeah yeah, and, and you know we we want to pray for liberation at that point. Yeah, you know we want to pray for people who uh, who are masters in mm. that sort of sense uh, to to be saved and yeah. you know to stop you know the exploitation that is going on at that point. Mm. Um, but so yeah, there's there's many tragic scenarios playing out across 
yeah. across the world at the moment. And there are, I mean, there are people working in this space and doing good. Like I, I can't remember the name of the organization, but if you just Google modern day slavery, like there's there's websites that talk about this issue. I mean, one of the things that we can do is to you know get informed and like there are organizations that are really working in the space trying to bring liberation to people in these situations. So yeah, get involved and if there's opportunity to do good there and, and be supporting that work, great. Absolutely. I mean, in the spirit of this question for the person who you know, if there's a Christian out there who is a modern day slave, mm. what does this passage have to say to them? I find that really hard to say. Like, again, I don't want to, you know, speak in generality in a situation that I have very little idea about, you know, what it's actually like in practice. I mean, some of the things that come to mind are, I think, for, you know, someone who's in a situation, it's, you know, there's a space to be, you know, respectful and, if I can say, honouring, even to a cruel, exploitative master. Like, that is part of the picture in, mm. you know, the ancient world of Ephesians too. Like, not to say the situation's good and you should just accept it, like... You know, pray for the the slave master that they'd be converted and see the error of this and and set you free. Like there's mm. there's ways to kind of do that in a way that's respectful, even of an awful dehumanizing situation that's geared and praying towards it ending. Like I yeah. don't know, there's some yeah. thoughts there. Yeah, no, that's helpful, mate. That's helpful. And inadequate, I'm sure. Like <laughs> there's, yeah. there's much more needs to be said. Um, but yeah. I hope that can help us at least to start to think through some of those issues. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the bulk of the questions that came in were about uh, children and parents, which makes sense because that's what we preached on. So we'll get into some of those questions now. Yeah. Um, to start with, we'll think about the first few verses, thinking about children and the call to obey and honour parents. Mm. Dave, questions come in. Are you saying that we should just obey mindlessly? Yeah. Just because something is a norm doesn't make it right. And the person gives the example, you know, sex before marriage is a norm to yeah. most people. Yeah. Does that mean it's, you know, it's, that's how the world works, that's what everyone does, so does that make it right? Yeah, yeah, and look, I think they're picking up some of the language that I used mm. in there, um, and that Paul uses, he says, you know, I, I obey parents because it's right, you know, and I sort of said there's there's a normality to it from, you know, all sorts of societies around the world where children obey their parents, mm. there's, there's a rightness to it. Like, it's interesting, I mean, it's a particularly modern Western problem to find fault with these verses at all, really, like, I, I you think, think so. the vast majority of culture is at most times in human history, would read Ephesians 6, 1 and 3 and be like, yep, okay, children yeah. obey their parents. That's, Too that's how it's meant to work, right? Like, Too easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting Paul doesn't leave his rationale in it is right. Mm. Uh, and I think that's where this question starts to sort of break down slightly. Um, because, yes, sex before marriage is the norm for most people. But Paul comes in here and gives us some rationales of... Uh, Exodus and the Ten mm. Commandments are honour your mother and your father. Yeah. And so Paul's starting to build a case where he goes, yes, obedience, yes, it just feels right, but there's more to it in terms of why I've put this command before you. Mm. Uh, and that the why is based upon the revealed law, you know, of what God wants, you know, that, that honour aspect too. Uh, I also think that in the Lord words there um, in Ephesians 6, uh, obey your parents in the Lord, I think is also another motivational factor. Yeah. Because it's starting to sort of say to us, how do I honour God as a child? Mm. Well, you honour God by obeying your parents. Yeah. Um, and so, so yes, I did say it's the norm, but no, I don't think there's the, you know, uh, equivalence of, well, there's all sorts of things that are the norm in society. Um, you know, should we just follow them? Well, no, we, we need to follow the things that have been revealed to us so that um, we know what God's will is. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they match up with society, but as we're seeing more and more in society around us, uh, we're out of step. Mm. We're not sort of walking with them 
and what God wants is quite different. Yeah, this is where we've been using the language, you know, we are the rebels of grace. We are yeah. rebelling against the society, which is in rebellion against God, if that makes sense, yeah. 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 Helpful. All right, we'll keep going. Uh, yeah. Someone's asked, how does someone honour a father who has and still does exasperate their child? Well, this is a really tough one. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think I'd firstly want to say, this is this is hard. Mm. Like, we, we feel for you as someone who wants to uh, uphold and fulfill scripture uh, in sort of honouring their parents. Uh, I assume this is probably more an adult child. I think um, this question came in at afternoon church, so yeah, I think we can uh, probably assume that, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, that's just... I just you know, want to begin by going, mm. it's tough. Yeah, like, for sure. You know, if that's the situation you find yourself in where, as an adult, your parents are still sort of, you know exasperating you and provoking you to anger and mm. not being gentle or you know not understanding you know how things change as you get older that's that's a tough situation to find yourself in yeah for sure and that's important to say to start with um i think we can say more so what does it look like mm. to honor a parent in that situation i mean i think one of the temptations in that kind of situation is probably just to be resentful and and frustrated and you know maybe that looks like you just go to other people and vent your frustration in you know almost like a gossipy kind of way like maybe yeah. it's just you just kind of internalize it and just breathe this resentment and bitterness towards your parents but sort of you know do what they say and obey the, the letter of the command you know but in spirit just be inwardly frustrated like mm. i think sometimes like honoring them means honoring them enough to start a conversation and to come to your your, your parents and say Hey, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this trying to be defined or anything. I just want you to know that, you know, this is the way you've been treating me and this is how it makes me feel and I'd love to know what you think about that. Like, I think there's a there's a, a place to, to start that conversation. Mm. And even that can be done with, with respect and with, uh, yeah, you know, this honouring consideration, you know, not assuming the worst of your parents. Like, sometimes these things are just, you know, unintentional confusion. You know, parents yeah. and children grow up in different generations and have different values, sometimes in different cultures even. And so yeah. sometimes it's just what your parents may think they're doing is not how it actually comes across to you. So yeah. in all those sorts of situations, I think the answer is having a conversation. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't guarantee it's all going to go well, necessarily. No. no like it may not, be that, not, you know... Not at all. Yeah, not exactly. All. You can. Um, you may have that conversation and your parents may think, well, you know, I think you're wrong. You're like, I you know, who, who, who do you even speak <laughs> back to me? You're just a child, you know? Like, there's all those sorts of things. Um, but I think starting the conversation is important and there's going to be a, yeah, a prayerful respectful praying that your parents may see it the way you see it and change and you know all those sorts of things but yeah to do all those things in a spirit of wanting to honor them even if the situation isn't ideal i think is yeah. part of what we're called to yeah and i think you know and I, i'm sure you spoke about this in some contexts um yesterday but that cultural piece i think is really important mm. um you know if if you've grown up for a part of your life in a different country You've come here when you're sort of younger and mum and dad have come. You know, the Australian culture is quite different to mm. an African or an Asian culture where, you know, obedience was the absolute norm, right? And you come here and, you know, we, we've got a little bit of the tall poppies around us. You know, there's a bit of defiance around authority. Yeah. And that's praise. We go, how good's that? Mm. You know, and for a kid growing up, they've got two different things and their mum and dad are wrestling with what that looks like. And, you know, my mate Jack, he gets away with everything, but you're, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're always on my back. And mm. it's just, a, I think, a good Christian response 
digs into some of those cultural questions yeah. in trying to understand and unpack some of these difficult circumstances. Mm. Um, and even for parents who are Christian, yeah. you know, they may not understand that they are exasperating you mm. at that point. That you know, and so a conversation together, if it is a Christian house, sort of how do we honor Jesus together? Yeah, I think is a helpful one. Much harder to do if you know either one parent is Christian. Mm. Or, and one is not, or they're they're both not. You know, yeah. um, that's there's just trickiness about how that sort of works. Yeah, I mean, to dig in a little bit further, like for example, say your parents are Christians and they are exasperating you, Dave. Do you think there's a place to say, look, here's what the Bible says? Um, you know, you know, I, I want to exhort you to heed the command of Scripture at this point and not <laughs> exasperate me. Like, yeah, like yeah, how yeah. does that conversation work? Yeah, and, and I spoke a little bit about this at night church. Uh, just to sort of go, I think you can ask questions mm. uh, of of your parents in a way that honours them. You know, the why, why do you always do this to me is not an honouring question. Mm. Um, but, you know, a, a question of can you help me understand, you know, these aspects of how our family works, uh, I think are good questions, you know, because it puts it on the hard, like I'm, I want to know, I want to help, mm. you know. Um, I think they're good things to do. I, I did speak about, you know, the one Timothy passage that said, do not rebuke an older man harshly. Um, yeah, so I don't think you can go to your parents and go, you got it all wrong. Yeah. Um, I don't, trust me, I don't think that'll go down well. Mm. Um, and I mean, not even that it won't go down well. Like, I think that's probably not right. Like there is, yeah. part of even in the situation where you may well be in the right there still is this this deference and this wanting yeah. to honour the relationship. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So just, mm. yeah. I don't think I've got the silver bullet answer, Jack. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, you know, in the same way you want your parents to be gentle with you, I mm. think you want to be gentle with them. You want to encourage them and help them. You know, um, and I think asking those open-ended questions together, how can we figure this out? Yeah, um, is helpful. Nice. Maybe to, this is probably going to be a specific example of those kinds of issues. Someone's asked, how does the command of obeying our parents and doing what they ask of us reconcile as a married person mm. if we take Genesis 2.24 seriously, which says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and becomes one flesh. Yeah. What would you want to say to that? Yeah, look, I think, um, I didn't speak directly to this, but I wish I had. Um, you get the chance now. <laughs> the beauty of the podcast. <laughs> no, it's yeah. great. Um, and questions are right. Like, yeah, mm. I you know wish I could have said that. Mm. Um, because there is a new family that is created. Mm. Uh, that's the beauty of the marriage relationship. Uh, you leave and you cleave. Yeah. Um, and that's a good and wonderful thing, you know. Um, and there there is a difference that happens at that point between, you know, uh, a child and uh, their parents in terms of they go off, get married. There's a new family mm. that's created, uh, as Genesis 2 says. So, um, uh, But the parental relationship doesn't end. You're still mm. a child, um, you know, and it might not look like obedience. Yeah. Uh, but you've got to honour them. Yeah. And there's both sides of the fence you know, uh, to sort of unpack, I think, at that point. Yeah, I mean, to maybe go a little further, I mean, I did, I did speak to this, um, so for those who heard my talk, there'll be a, an echo here, but um, for those who didn't, I think that um, 
what you've described, Dave, the, the new relationship, the new family that forms in marriage, what that brings with it, I think, is a, a new primary allegiance, if that makes sense. Yeah. Not even primary. Jesus is the primary allegiance, but um, for a child growing up, parents are kind of the most significant human relationship they have in marriage. That uh, primary allegiance is transferred to the new family. So mm. at times, the marriage relationship will need to take priority even over, you know, doing what one's parents want. So, I mean, I, I gave the example of a situation I've heard of where um, parents are so um, demanding of their son who is married that they would ask the son to, you know, go over and, you know, spend time at their place all the time, you know, helping them out, even at the expense of the son being with his wife and kids and, mm. and spending time with them. And I think in that kind of situation, there comes a point where the right thing to do is to say no to your parents and say, no, I have a another responsibility that that has to trump this and that like that's a really hard conversation to have like yeah. in many ways you know there it, it's important to even do that with with honor and respect and with with deference and you know a desire to make it work as far as it can like maybe you say i'm sorry i can't come over then but you know what about tomorrow like you know there's, there's ways to do it in a way it's honoring but there does have to be i think a, mm. a limit and that's and that's hard and parents yeah. are probably gonna not see eye to eye on that as well and that's just another thing that's worth grieving because yeah that's tough yeah I do wonder as my kids start to get older as to sort of what's, um, what parent do I need to be when they get married? What sort of granddad am I going to be? Mm. You know, that helps this sort of relationship flourish and go well so that, you know, as my daughters marry, you know, find a bloke um, and, uh, you know, what what's that going to look like? You know, mm. you know, it, Anyway, like I, I think that's, that's a bad thing to think about. I don't particularly want to think about my kids getting married just yet, but um, yeah. I know I've got to think about it now. I'll be surprised when it does happen and go, well, how should I manage that? What should I do? Yeah. Um, you know, and so I think there's good things to think through prior mm. to those things happening. Yeah, you know? cool. Last question on the, the child side of this. Someone's asked, what would you say to children whose parents have walked away, I assume, from the faith? Yeah, uh, again heartache mm. absolutely anytime someone walks away gives up on the faith uh, like my heart bleeds mm. like really it does yeah. and uh, I, I, I yeah just super tough mm. and I think still you want to like you know as you've alluded to you might see them making really unwise decisions as they do that mm. but they still need honouring yeah. Exodus 20, you know, Ephesians 6 two, they still hold true. Mm. You still need to honour your mother and your father. Yeah. Even perhaps even in a blended family, which, you know, I'm not sure I spoke about mm. uh, on Sunday, if you've got stepdad, stepmom, yeah. you know, they're not my parents. You know, what do I do in that? I still think the honour the mother and the father, mm. even if it's the mother and father and now extended, you know, mums and dads on each side. Um, I still think that the command to honour at that point stands, even as you potentially watch them making really, really bad decisions. Yeah. Um, I think that can be really hard. I think when you, if you're watching your parents making bad decisions, it, it can be really hard to res- respect them as people for that. I mean, yeah. it's, yeah, it's it, it's a challenge to, to look at that and, and say, what does that even mean to honour that? Like, because that doesn't honour God, and so, like, that's a bad thing they're doing. I think sometimes it's, you know, again, we've talked about, you know, resentment and bitterness. Like, I think it's important to be thankful for your parents and the good that they have done. And, yeah. and there's no way they got everything right, because no parent does. But 
um, like there are probably things that, that were good and to be thankful to God for the good that they did in raising you and, and if they brought you up in the fear and instruction of the Lord and you're a believer, you know, praise God for that, even if they have abandoned that. It's, I think, yeah, like as you've said, we've got to respect them even if, yeah, right. even in that heartache. Yeah. yeah. There's lots more to say as well, but it's just so great we can keep thinking through these things and let me encourage yeah. you to keep talking them through in your growth groups and all those sorts of things as well. Um, we are going to uh, flip on to... The, oh, we got, sorry, we have one more question on sort of the charts, don't we? Um, I've, I've jumped ahead. Um, spiritual parents, that's the question we've got. So someone's asked, yeah. uh, Ephesians 6 verse 1, is that about biological parents or does it include spiritual parents? And then a question to push that further. Um when considering people who are young, adult, or teenage Christians are and are in homes where parents are not Christian, someone's asked, what is the place for spiritual parents or family for those young Christians? So should young Christians seek out spiritual parents? And if so, what does that look like in that relationship? Um, is it the same as the parent-child relationship in Ephesians 6? Yeah. Um, I think that there is a, a wonderful place in our lives for spiritual parents. Um, and that's a it's a good thing, um, and you know we we want to you know hang out with them, mine them for the gold and wisdom that they have, mm. you know, as mature believers uh, in in the Lord. Um, I don't necessarily think we need to obey them yeah. in terms of the sense that you know it's going on here uh, in Ephesians six, but man, you'd be silly to to not keep hanging out and, and learning from them as best as you possibly could. Mm. So uh, I think there's, there's good things to sort of, you know, unpack in there. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's got to be a difference there because there's, I mean, there's, a, there's an optional nature to that relationship in some way. Like totally. your biological family, you're born into it. You know, parents have this God-given creation, order, authority as just part of the structure of the human family. Yeah. Spiritual parents is a, like a really good thing, but yeah. it's, not a, it's not a thing that's imposed on you. It's something that you... Totally. and grow up under and it's a good totally. thing yeah and look mm. I think you know it's uh, it's worth having someone who we look up to who we meet with it's it's worth having a peer it's worth having someone who who you uh, mentor so to speak mm. uh, in, in the Christian faith they're, they're good I think they're three good key relationships uh, that we should pursue yeah. in, in different aspects yeah it'd be wonderful to see more and more of that happening across our church and different spaces yeah. yeah good stuff alright so I'm going to come on now and think about the, the parenting side of the question, particularly looking at chapter 6, verse 4. Mm. Uh, first question on this, someone's asked, Dave, where does your list of 10 what not to do as parents come from? Is that just from your brain or is that from some particular model? Um, not from my brain, no. Uh, as beautiful a brain as it is. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Very happy to uh, uh, reveal source documents. Uh, the Gospel Coalition had a, an article on uh, how to exasperate your children, mm. um, but there's multiple of very similar um, articles around like that, and he had a corresponding one on the, the positive side of bringing your kids mm. up. Eric, someone. Raymond, maybe? Raymond. Yeah. Um, if you Google and, how to exasperate your children, it's probably the Gospel Coalition. You'll, you'll, you'll find it there. So, no, not from my brain. Yeah. No, good. Thanks for citing that. Um, someone's asked, uh, I put the order. I, I might have missed this in the sermon, but in saying parents, if not men in general, should be gentle like Jesus, was there a clarification in how that gentleness may be different from the usual understanding of that word, especially in the Jesus at the temple situations? Um, I might speak to this because I think this is something that came out of my talk. So yeah, I, I, I think I said that as Paul's saying, don't exasperate your children. Like in our world, there's this idea that you know men are they meant to be the the harsh and strict and severe ones, and women can be the gentle parent. But you know, man, you got to you know hold the line and 
pointed to the example of Jesus as the man we follow who is gentle. Um, and I think I gave some of these clarifications, but if I wasn't clear, let me be clear. Yeah, gentleness is not, you know, mushiness, I think, in the Bible. So Jesus is the most gentle man who ever lived. But yes, he went into the table, sorry, the temple, and flipped the tables where money changes. Like, you know, he made a whip and chased people around. Like, there's a, you know, gentleness is not just this total passive softness. Yeah, yes. let me be clear on saying that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a really helpful clarification. Yeah, yeah. cool. I think at the time we'll, we'll keep pressing on through these. Um, yeah. Dave, someone's asked, is spanking an appropriate form of discipline or is it a form of exacerbating children? Yeah, look, this is a very uh, often divisive issue mm. among parents uh, and especially Christian parents yeah. uh, as to sort of what this sh- should look like. You know, there's, there's passages in Proverbs that talk about sparing the rod. Uh, you know, there's talks about instruction and discipline uh, and correcting the way in which a child should go. Uh, and um, so there's, there's, this is, you know, open Pandora's box in, you know, in the next sort of three minutes of the podcast. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and people fall down on different sides and sometimes often on, on the extremes of both sides, as in, mm. you know, you've got the, you must, you know, spank your child if you're going to be following the scriptures through to, if you actually spank your child, you're doing something sinful. So mm. there's, you know, there's extremes on both sides. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, uh, the, the words here in Ephesians 6 about the training and instruction uh, are about course correction. Mm. That's what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the question is, how do you do that as a parent? Um, and, uh, you know, are there ways you can do that without smacking your child, mm. you know? Um, and so, I, you know, I mean, if I reflect personally, you know, there's been times where I have spanked my kids. Mm. Um, could I have done it differently at the time? I think so. Yeah, I probably could have done it. Sometimes it was more about my own anger. You know, I'm, I'm happy happy to, to own that and be vulnerable in that uh, aspect. Um, and so, you know, I, I I think you can raise your kids without hitting them. Mm. You know, um, and uh, but you know, there there were times when you know kids were little and. I was sharing before about how they unstrapped themselves on the freeway, right? <laughs> you know, um, out of their car seats. You know, at that point, my hands were going back, looking to, you know, get put, back in the seat. Get back in the seat, and, yeah. and you know, if I'm putting a spank on the thigh, you know, mm. you know th- there were times like that where, you know, um, that's you know, the life yeah. and death element of that situation, <laughs> yeah, right? I'm just, yeah. I'm like, you got to get back in your seat, no matter yeah. uh, how how that sort of happens. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we we do want to discipline, mm. and and how that looks like, and what that looks like for their correction at that point. Yeah, you know, whether that's verbal, whether there's other forms of punishment uh, that that need to come in at that point, as mm. opposed to you know actually hitting your child. Yeah, um, yeah, I think they're worth thinking through. Totally, yeah. I think it is worth commenting on you know the the Bible element of this a little further as well, because I think particularly an older generation, but still around today, you know that that maxim of Spare the rod, spoil the child is mm. something that gets thrown around. And my understanding is it comes from the, the King James translation of Proverbs thirteen twenty four, And I'll read the NIV. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. And there, there, there would have been some, you know, and still are some to, today who'd say the biblical mandate here is that, you know, corporal discipline, like, you know, physical beating, you know, that's, that's a strong word. But yeah, let's go spanking shot is, you know, the biblical mandate. I I don't think that's a right reading of this part of 
God's word. Mm. Um, partly it's the bigger picture of Proverbs. I mean, you see throughout Proverbs, there are all sorts of ways that parents are called to discipline their children. I mean, in a way, the whole book of Proverbs is a father mm. disciplining his son and, you know, passing on the wisdom of the Lord. And at times there's, you know, verbal correction and it comes out in, you know, the different illustrations that Proverbs uses. And, you know, like there is this, you know, severe mode of correction here as well, but it's not the only tool that's used. And you look at the verse, like the point is, whoever loves their child is careful to discipline them. Like the point is discipline. So yeah, it is, it is necessary as a parent to discipline your children, like to just go total laissez-faire, do whatever you want. Like that's not ultimately loving. That's the point of this verse. Mm. The particular mode of discipline, I don't think is the the biblical mandate that's being put forward here. No. And at times like this can go really wrong. Like, you know, I've I've heard of examples of people saying, you know, the the father saying, look, I, you know, I, I don't really saying to the child, look, I'm sorry, I don't want to hit you, but, you know, God says that's what I need to do. You know, you know, God has told me that's what that's what's loving for you. Like, I wish I didn't have to do it, but I'm going to spank you. Like, I, I can I just say, I think that's just, yeah. like, extremely worrying as a, an application of the Bible's principles yeah. here. I mean, for that child, what are they going to grow up thinking God is like? Mm. Like, that, like, I think that, yeah, can I just urge you never to do that? Like, I just think that's yeah. an awful picture of what the Bible is trying to set forth as a, a positive model of parents training and, and correcting. And yeah, at times it's going to be disciplined because that's what we need to get back on course. But I mean, that kind of picture, that like that's, I think that's spiritual abuse, basically. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for raising that, Jack, because I think we, we want to make sure as Christian parents, we're, we're doing what the scriptures want us to do. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, an oft-quoted mm. passage you know, yeah. that, that we come to. So uh, it's important that we, we deal with that one directly. Yeah, good to spend some time on that. We'll keep going. Uh, someone's asked, where is the primary place for discipleship for Christians where the home is not a Christian place? What if your parent, sorry, what if your parent is one where perhaps they are a little more immature in the faith? For example, a parent who's only just recently come to the mm. faith. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, it's the, it, it's, there's the joy of Christian and church family at this point. Mm. Um, and this is the case for lots of people. Uh, their home is not the Christian place of nurturing and bringing up in the Lord. Uh, and at that point, it's just wonderful to have Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, and again, as we touched upon, you know, that uh, spiritual parent, you know, mother and father who sort of take you on and mm. help and grow and mature you, that's uh, that's a wonderful thing. Like, yeah. it's, you know, um, it's great to see it in action. Yeah. Part of the language I used on Sunday was, I think Ephesians 6 sets forward this biblical ideal of, you know, Christian father, Christian mother, raising Christian kids. Yeah. But we know we don't live in an ideal world, and in all sorts of ways we fall short of that. And I mean, this is my own experience. So I grew up, my parents were not believers when I became a Christian, they're still not believers. Mm. So I grew up not having a Christian household, and there are a lot of challenges with that. And I am amazingly thankful to people like my salt leaders, who were my spiritual fathers, so to speak, and yeah. You know, the, the people at church, other people at youth group, there are all sorts of influences there. Yeah. So my situation wasn't, wasn't ideal. And I would have loved to have grown up with a Christian father. Like, I think that would have been better. Mm. But that's not what my situation was. Mm. And that doesn't mean it was a hopeless situation. And that's really important. I think we can sometimes be so all or nothing. But just because the situation's not ideal, that doesn't mean it's hopeless. Yeah. God isn't bound to mm. only work when things are as ideal as they are. Like, mm. he can work in any sort of household. And, yeah, like, my experience would attest to that. Yeah, I mean, the, the second half of this question is interesting. What about, you know, maybe it is a Christian household, but parents have only just come to the faith and may still be growing maturity. What would you say to that? Yeah, um, firstly, praise praise the Lord. If your parents mm. have only just come to the faith, they've come to the faith. It's, yeah, wonderful. Um, it's, you know, uh, re- rejoice with the angels over that one. Mm. Um, and, 
you know, bear with them. Yeah. Honor them. You know, if they're trying to open the scriptures and read it with you and unpack it and understand it, uh, what a joy. Mm-hmm. Um, just cherish those moments. Um, and and hopefully they'll be looking to understand together. And if that's you as a parent, go, I've just recently come to faith, want to bring my kids up, but, you know, in some ways they know more or, or less, then open the scriptures together and just... Mm-hmm investigate it together and, yeah. and, and unpack it together that doesn't necessarily have to be in the instructing teaching as in I have all the answers let mm. me show you you know um, it can be a let's just figure this out together now I know my kids you know they've got things to teach me as, yeah. you know they grow and understand the faith and um, but if we never have the conversation then I never get the benefit of you know yeah um, having them you know uh, share with what yeah, what God's teaching them mm. and, and working through. So, yeah. yeah. At that point, again, it's just so great to have the church family. But mm. if you, you know, if you're a Christian child with a less mature parents, like you don't have to feel like you're going to be stunted now because then, you know, you've got a whole wealth of resources around you, and we, yeah. yeah, we're growing in the Lord together. Yeah. That's good. So another question, I think, which is particularly addressed to you. Someone's got a comment on sacrifice. Yeah. And they said, it's worth mentioning that the Friday and Sunday nights are a small part of what can, and in this person's opinion, should be sacrifices in the rest of life. So bedtime stories, chores, disciplining through example 24-7. To love your kids is to sacrifice, just as Christ did for the church. This person says, I'm reacting to the, oh no, Monday, Monday and Friday nights. Um, but we should never separate discipleship from our realities of, of not church. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't hear your talk, so I'm not even aware really of the, the, yeah. what the church situation was. But yeah, do you want to talk to that? Uh, I just want to say amen, really, to yeah. it. Uh, of, of course, um, all of life as a parent uh, is, is sacrifice and, and love towards your kids. Uh, yeah. And I see that. I see our parents you know, across our church families here loving their kids. They love them dearly. Uh, and make all sorts of sacrifices in all sorts of ways. Mm. Um, my my particular comment here was about giving up your Friday nights and your Sunday afternoons, evenings, so that your kids can uh, come regularly to that gathering where they've got other mm. Christian kids their age that they're interacting with and making that a priority. Yeah, uh, so salt and Bible and night church and, particularly. Yeah, yeah, Sunday afternoons, mm. Bible studies and, and night church. Yeah. Um, so, but yes, amen. Yeah. Not, not just not just Friday and Sunday, you'd, you'd be giving those. They're two pointy examples for us. Pointy examples, exactly. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Another question on this. Someone's asked, how can wives encourage their husbands in discipling their children while also submitting to their husbands? Yeah, um, great question. Mm. Um, and, and look, I think what you want to work on here is, is the consistency of it. Um, uh, because it, it is it takes teamwork. To raise a family and to disciple and instruct and nurture your kids, uh, and it requires consistency, uh, and you need to know with some clarity about sort of how things are going to work in the family. Um, then, and then I think that starts to play out the answer about wives encouraging the husbands, because if you've got no clarity, right? I come in, you know, uh, wife's been home with the kids all day. Uh, in that scenario, or they've been maybe home earlier or whatever. Um, I walk in, you know, oh, mum didn't let me do this. Oh, that's a fine. You just go and do that. That's all good. You know, mm. you just get this inconsistency sort of coming through. And so uh, I think, you know, to encourage 
you know, wives to encourage husbands in it is just to get clarity together mm. of what the house is going to look like. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's worth getting down to the nitty gritty mm. um, because that, that will again just help uh, in terms of expectations. Yeah. Um, and sometimes dads, as you walk in the door, perhaps the most helpful thing to say to, to your wife is, what's the most helpful thing I can do right now? Yeah, um, you know. I've certainly had situations like that where I come in and, and I see the look on Katie's face and I see what the kids are doing and I just go straight to her and say, what's been happening? What can I do? Like, you know, yeah. you can tell we're at DEFCON 1, like, <laughs> what's the most efficient thing here? But she knows that because she's been here and I'm just walking in blind, you know. Yeah, that's that's right. And yeah. I think, you know, that, that, that communication piece is key yeah. in, in helping one another. Mm. I think another thing here is I think that you know it's a stereotype, but I think so often sadly it's the reality that uh, a father can be the one who's who's passive and just sort of letting things happen, and, and often it is um, mothers who are really there driving, you know, wanting to see their children raised, particularly raising the Lord. In that kind of situation, yeah, what does it look like to you know you, you want your husband to hear this passage and take responsibility, but how do you do that in a way that's submissive? Mm. I want to say to start with, I think even that you would ask that question is shows a you know a character of submission because one response could just be to say well you know if he's just going to sit in the couch whatever I'm just going to do it I'm going to take responsibility if someone's going to make this happen I'm going to do it mm-hmm. you can kind of just go off on your own and you know in, in some like in the worst case scenarios maybe that's what has to happen but that's yeah that's a tragedy for a, a father to just abdicate this responsibility I think sometimes that to do it means being willing to have this conversation to, to challenge your husband and say look I want to. This is what I'm saying. You know, I see you not taking an interest in this, not caring about it as much as I think you should. You know, there's this biblical reality that you know I think God's calling us to and calling you to, and I want to know what you think about it. Like, there's a way to have that conversation and you know exhort your husband to take seriously the responsibility that God has laid on him. Like, that's that's a good and beautiful thing that that wives and mothers can do, and I'd encourage you to to, to start that conversation if you think it needs to happen in your family. Yeah. Jack, should we jump down to this last question? Yeah. Do you want to read it for us? Is there anything about how parents with kids can love those who don't have kids or vice versa? Yeah, such a fantastic question. And I was really keen, you know, at the start of my talk, one of the things I said is we got to, we, we come to a pastor like this as a whole church family, you know. Mm-hmm. Some of us with children, some without, some with parents who loved us and, you know, nourished us, some with parents who didn't. And, in all those sorts of situations, we come to the Word of God as a whole church family, not just as our little biological families, but as, as one church. And I think there are wonderful ways that we as a church can be um, including and loving those who are in different life situations. Mm-hmm. So for parents, for those who have children, how can you relate to those in our congregation who don't have kids? And maybe some for whom that's really painful, those who mm-hmm. wish they could have had children and haven't been able to, or maybe you're trying to and it hasn't come yet. Like, and there is real pain there. Can I say, I think one thing that uh, families with kids can do that's unhelpful is to just assume that those who, who who are childless, you know, it would just be too painful to include them in our family, like to invite them over and have them see the kids running around, having a lovely time, like that's just going to break their hearts. I'm just going to spare them that and just, you know, leave them on the out there because it'd be too hard to come in. I, I, I think we're called to something better than that. Like, I think that that's, like, yes, it, you know, there can be pain for people without children to come and be a part of family life, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. And to be excluded and have no vision at all of what, you know, life with kids looks like, I think is even worse. Mm. So I think there's, you know, it's one of these things where we, we just want these comfortable lives that are as, you know, pain-free as possible, but we're called to something bigger than that. Like, even in the situations that are hard, 
you can reach out to you know the the couple without kids and include them and say hey like we want you to come and experience our family life and yeah that's going to be hard at times but that's how we want to love you mm. no i think that's really well said man i've i've seen that happen in various places around our church uh and it's really nice to see mm. uh where people have opened up their homes and included other people uh, whether they be single yeah. whether they be you know a couple who, who don't have kids or can't have kids or even widows to mm. that extent whose family may not be in Australia at that point. So uh, I just think we just need to not think selfless. Uh, we need to think selflessly at that point yeah. uh, rather than selfishly with our family. Yeah, we're called to be a family together as the people of God. Mm. That's a good thing. Yeah. We've tackled a lot here. Um, it's been huge. Really grateful for your wisdom, Dave, and it's been good to tackle some of these issues as we get into the specifics. Um, can you give us a flash forward? Where are we heading this coming Sunday? Yeah, so we're finishing off Ephesians. Mm-hmm. Um, Ephesians 6, 10 to 24. Uh, we're looking at the armor of God, what it is, what it means to put it on, uh, and the joy of having it in the Christian life. Uh, and to go alongside that, we're, we're going to have a... It's, this Sunday is amazing. Uh, we've got baptisms across our church family this Sunday. Fantastic. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to uh, throwing a few people under the water. Uh, as, as, you, <laughs> as am Jack. I, yeah. It's going to be great. Uh, and then at Night Church, you want to tell us what's happening at Night Church? The Night Church, there are people being baptised and there are also people being confirmed. Mm. So we have uh, our, our Bishop Gary Q coming to confirm some of our young believers in the faith. Yeah, it's going to be a wonderful night as we... Get to celebrate the work of God in people across our church, across all congregations. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be a really fantastic Sunday. Yeah. yeah. So we look forward to being with you then. Until then, God bless and bye for now. See ya.